want to talk this morning about a very desolate place called the Desert of Beersheba. And I want you to get your Bible, and you're going to be looking here in a few minutes at 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verse 3 there and, and from there, but that's where we're going to be starting. But we're going to talk for a little bit today about the Desert of Beersheba. I want to talk specifically about a season in the life of Elijah. Boy, on this side, we'll never be able to understand these characters that we look to as heroes of the faith. Be interesting. It'd be really cool to meet him one of these days when we get to heaven. We study his life, though, and sometimes when we study it, when, we're when we are just reading through his life as it is chronicled, we have some strange ideas about Elijah. At some point, he's a hero, and at other times, we're thinking, what's wrong with you? And the truth of the matter is, as we'll see today, he represents our own lives. You know, there's one specific day in his life that I want to focus on initially, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. But one specific day in his life was a very long and successful day. And I look at what he achieved in that particular, say, 24-hour period of time, and I know that he had to, at the end of that day, been very physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. Anybody here ever been that way, all three at the same time? Mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. If that is you or has been you, just wave at me. Some of you are in this room right now feeling that way. I am just spiritually, mentally, and physically exhausted. Well, I want you to know that doing God's work is very satisfying, but it's draining. And it's okay to admit that. The, some of the most tired and vulnerable times in my life were the times that I was the most mightily used of God at the end of those days. I've told you this before, but I'm always very careful to guard my days, uh, the end of my days, after I have been in something that I know is going to be mentally, spiritually, and physically draining. Uh, preaching, revivals, conferences, different things like this. I, I know that, that, uh, that preaching under the anointing Praying for people, uh, walking in the spirit, you would think that those are not things that are draining. But at the time when the anointing is flowing, I mean, you can you could leap buildings with a st single bound and outrun bullets and all that stuff. But when the anointing is gone and everybody is is gone and you are by yourself, there's been times at the end of those days I would fall into a chair and my arms would just hang limp to my sides. And it would almost be a labor to breathe. And you say, come on now. Sometimes working for God can be very draining. Oh, you can have such great success and you can enjoy it in the moment. And everything about it is just so much fun. But when it's over, said and done and the work is over, you're just drained. How many of you ever have ever just had a day where you just volunteered and you did something, you just worked for God all day? Maybe you knocked on doors or you, you visited children or you did a camp or something. And at the end of that day, you're just exhausted. Work 
working for God. You say, this is such a good day, but I'm just so tired. In those moments when we are so tired, sometimes is when we are the most vulnerable. In my own particular life, when I have those times where I know I'm going to be really, really tired, please forgive me, but those are the times that I don't hang around with folks after church. I don't go to the restaurants and do some of those things after church. Why not? Because I know that when I'm vulnerable and I'm tired, I think in ways I don't want to think and I say things that I regret. Somebody will say, what do you think about such and such? And in that moment, I might tell them. I'm very guarded at other times, but when I'm really tired and I'm not thinking straight, I might tell you what I'm thinking. And that's not always been good. I have found that and learned that over the years. That sometimes it's best for me to just find a dark corner where I can be reclusive. And hide out until I get it all back going again. So when I read about the life of Elijah, I am not, I am not in any position to pitch rocks at him and to say, come on, you big sissy. I look at his life rather and I understand where he's coming from, especially on this particular day. Man, he's had a long day. Got up that morning, heard the voice of God. God said, go to the king who has the power to kill you or imprison you and confront him. Right off the bat, this is going to be a long day. Confront him. He has the power and he's married to that terrible Jezebel. The two of them are as wicked as they can be. But I want you to go confront him today. I want you to go challenge him today. I want you to call him out. Hmm. So he has gone to King Ahab and challenged him and told him, meet me at the top of Mount Carmel. I want to show a picture of Mount Carmel. I want you to see Mount Carmel. That is a tough mountain to climb. We've been on top of that mountain when we went to Israel. We stood at the top of it and looked down. We fortunately rode to the top. Standing at the top looking down, we realized what a tough climb that would be. Elijah says to King Ahab, I want you to get those prophets of Baal and everybody else that you want to round up. And I want you to meet me at the top of that mountain. And so Elijah proceeds to climb that mountain at which time there wasn't cars and buses to ride into the top of. And there, once they get to the top, they spend the whole day there. See if this would be mentally exhausting to you to be the one person out of probably a thousand that everybody doesn't like. Have you ever gone to a family reunion when you just felt out of place? Or maybe it was someone else's family reunion and you felt out of place. You had to spend the whole day. What if you were Elijah And you've just called out King Ahab with his 450 prophets of Baal and 400 other prophets. If you do the math, even where I went to school, that's 850 bad prophets. And we haven't even talked about the rest of the folks. So when I say there's probably around a thousand people up here with him on this mountain on this day. And none of them like him. Every time King Ahab sees him, he says, you're that troublemaker. You're the guy causing all the problems. 
And Elijah says, oh, no, I'm not. You're the one. And so every time they see you, there's this constant bickering and battling between them. And here they are today, thousand of them and one of him on the top of this mountain, and they're going to test their gods. And Elijah says to them, okay, let's see whose God is God. Get your sacrifice together. And then let's put your sacrifice on the altar. And then I want you all to call upon your God and have him consume your sacrifice with fire. And so all day long, Elijah is on the mountain with the people who doesn't like him. After what he's done already so far, and he spends the day taunting and ridiculing these thousand people. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to just call out three or four people at one time. When I was a young man, I used to think I was tough. I did that one time, a carload of people. I called all of them out, called their mamas, called them names, their mamas' names. I called, I did everything I could to get them to fight, a whole carload of them. Fortunately, they thought I was insane and they wouldn't fight. I'd have been killed. So I can't imagine what it would be like to be the only one of a thousand up there taunting and giving these people a hard time all day long. And they don't like you to begin with. And now they're not happy because they're bleeding because they've been cutting themselves and they've been praying and they've been crying and screaming and doing their incantations and all this mess. And you're standing up there poking fun and laughing at them and pointing at them. And where is your God? Nothing happens until finally at the end of the day, Elijah says, okay, now let me have my turn. And he goes to work physically repairing the altar. He's done a little work today. Confronted the king, climbed the mountain, challenged him all day, physically repairing the altar of God, cutting up a sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever butchered an animal, but this, that in itself is a lot. Butchers the animal, lays it on the sacrifice, digs a ditch all the way around the altar and has them pour enough water on it that it saturates the sacrifice and fills the ditch with water. And then he starts praying. And how many of you all know that real prayer is hard work? When was the last time God answered your sacrifice by fire and licked up the water and burned up the rocks? That's some serious praying. I mean, we're praying for God to heal a a cold. God, help me with this ingrown fingernail. Elijah's up here calling down fire out of heaven to burn up rocks. That's some prayer. And sure enough, the fire comes and everything is consumed. The people begin to change their mind. Oh, Elijah's God is the God. And then Elijah gives his next command. Don't let any of these prophets get away. We're going to kill all of them. And the scripture says, then they go back down this mountain to the river Kishon. I want you to see, this is a picture from up on top of Mount Carmel. Now look, do you see a river? The reason you can't see it very well is because it's so far away. But it's in there. So they take these people and they go all the way down, at which point 450 of them are killed. Some say by the word of Elijah, others say by Elijah himself. Now if it's him by himself and he takes a sword and kills 450 people, that is equivalent to one guy fighting in two or three or four battles. He's having quite an exhausting day. 
At which point it says when he finishes killing them, some say, why did he do it there? Because he, I don't know, I can't say for sure, but I think it may be because he knew it was going to rain. It hadn't rained in three years because he prayed that it wouldn't. And today it's going to rain because he received a, the word from the Lord that it's going to. So he takes 450 bodies off of Mount Carmel where he likes to pray. And he takes them down into the valley into the, where the river is going to swell because of the rain that's coming. It's fixing a flood. And he knows he killed 450 of them down there by the water. The water will swell the river and it will wash their old nasty bodies away and he won't have to deal with them. Makes sense, doesn't it? But the scripture said after he gets done killing them, he, everybody goes away and guess where he goes? Back up to the top of that mountain we were looking at. He climbs back to the top of that mountain for the second time today. Some of y'all think you had a good cardio workout yesterday. You got in your two miles. He's back up on top of the mountain again now, waiting for a sign for the rain that he knows is approaching. I guess he's praying. I don't know for sure. He says to his servant, is it, what do you see? He said, all I see is a cloud the size of a man's hand. Well, he said, That's, it's going to multiply. Hang on. And told, told Ahab, King Ahab, whom they, he didn't like, but he says, you better get your chariot and get on back to town. Well, everybody's already gone, and he's climbed back up the mountain. The rain comes. Scripture said he wraps himself up in his loose clothing and runs from the top of this mountain all the way to the city of Jezreel and outruns a guy in a chariot that left before him. I'm wore out. Just talking about this, I'm wore out. Aren't you? Mm. he's got to be exhausted in every way. But what an awesome day because it hadn't rained for three years because he prophesied it wouldn't, and now it's raining. This is a day of celebration and victory, but it's not for Elijah. It should have been. Look what all has happened. Look what he's done for the Lord. When was the last day you had that kind of a day for God? When was the last time you did that kind of thing for God? He's had a great spiritual day. This is a major revival. 450 prophets of Baal are killed. All these other people have had their minds turned back to God. This has been an awesome day. And then there's Jezebel. She don't like him. Those were her 450 prophets that he killed. They weren't her husband Ahab's. They were hers. And when Ahab gets back home and he tells his wife, guess what we've been doing today? And guess what your boy Elijah did to all of your prophets? They're no longer in existence. They're gone. He killed them all down by the river Kishon. In fact, by now, the way it's raining, they're probably not even there anymore. said, this guy has really wreaked havoc on your on your Baal worship. You would think after what's happened that she and everybody else would have such a reverence and respect for God, revival would just break out. Not with her. She's outraged at the fact that her prophets are gone. And she sends back word to Elijah. She said, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. I promise you'll be everything in. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure you're dead. And you'd think that after all he's seen God do just today, that he wouldn't be the least bit worried about one devil woman's plan to destroy him. 
but he is. Why? Because when you get tired, you don't think in terms of great faith. Don't matter what you've been doing. It don't matter what all you just accomplished. When you get tired, you don't think in terms of great faith. When you leave the mountain, go back down to the valley. Sometimes it's hard to remember how you got to the mountain and it's hard to get back there. So he runs. It's not because God told him to. Somebody find it in your Bible where God told him to run. He does it because in his mind it's the most sensible option. It's just in your natural mind. It's what your natural mind tells you to do when you're too tired to fight. What do you do? When you get too tired to fight, what do you do? You run. Even if you were fighting, even if you were in the fight, even if you were fighting doing well, after a while, if you start losing and you get tired, you run. Hmm. Your mind says, just get out of this place. Hear me? Go somewhere, anywhere. Just get out of this place. What should he have done in that situation? What, what would have yielded the best result? I mean, what did he really need right now? Was, did he need to put distance between him and the problem? Did he need to expend more energy and keep moving? No. Listen to what he needed. Three things of what he needed real quick. You can write these down. They won't be up there, but you can write them down. What he needed was rest. Huh? What he needed was prayer. What he needed was direction from God. That's what he needed. So what does he do in this state of exhaustion? He does the wrong things. He does the same thing we'd do if we were in his situation. Don't condemn him. Don't call him weak or dumb. This is a real man. He wasn't a wimp. He just got tired. He just got tired. So look how he responded. First Kings chapter 19 verse 3. Elijah was afraid when he got her message and he ran to the town of Beersheba in Judah and he left his servant there and then walked another whole day into the desert and finally he came to a large bush and he sat down in its shade and he begged the Lord I've had enough just let me die I'm no better off than my ancestors he's so tired that he feared he ran and he quit I mean, yesterday was revival, huge revival. Today, he fears, runs, and quits. Anybody relate? Pastor, I don't understand it. I've seen God do mighty things in my lifetime. I've been part of revivals and miracles. He's healed me. He's used me. He's worked through me. I wish I could just stay there in those moments with him. But they always seem to come to an end. And I go back to being the same old, flawed, tired, and jacked up me. Why is that? Seems that when I'm not in a mighty move of God, that I'm instead afraid and running and and ready to quit and ragged. Why is that? How can I go from there to there? I'm just exhausted from doing good things. I need a break. I need a sabbatical. No, what you need is to hear the gentle voice of God. 
But before he stopped to listen for that, I want you to notice what he did. And I also want you to notice that God allowed it and that God wasn't even angry at him for doing it. But I want you to notice the amount of wasted energy that he didn't have and the distraught mind and the desperation that he had to endure because he chose to run instead of listen. Notice this, when he desperately needed rest, instead he walked 95 miles to get away from the situation. Took him all day and all night of walking, perhaps two days, because how many of y'all know it takes a while to walk 95 miles? I walked 24 one day raising money. Said, I ain't ever going to do that again. Now on, I'm going to ride a bicycle or something. 25 miles walking in one day is a long way. It takes a while to walk 95 miles, especially if you're walking after he just got done what he got done doing, climbing up and down, killing 450. You don't need me to tell you all that again. I told you what he's been doing, and now in order of re- instead of resting, he chooses to walk 95 miles where he dumps off his servant and then walks another full day day out into guess where the desert of Beersheba he's tired he's not thinking straight hmm you know just because you're tired doesn't mean God's finished with you and in the season where you are being discouraged, you need to remember God is still providing for you. Even when you're not being effective with his call. He's still sending food and water to strengthen you. Now, I want you to notice something. By the time we get to the Mount Sinai situation, which is where things are going to turn around, It will have been between 40 and 45 days since Mount Carmel. I've heard people say to me, Pastor, I'm just in a season. It seemed like I hadn't been able to hear God's voice. It's been months since I could hear God. I don't understand why I can't hear the voice of God or feel his presence. Seems like my prayers are hitting a a cloud with silver lining. I don't know where God has gone. I've been working for God. I just got tired. And here I am, I find myself in this like a desert situation and I can't hear from God. Here is a guy who has worked for God tirelessly, yet God has allowed him to go 40 to 45 days without hearing from him. Why? Because God doesn't like him? Because God's mad at him? Because God's angry? Because God's disappointed? No. Because God wants him to get to a place where he'll listen. And sometimes when you get real tired, you get so loud, hang on, complaining and crying that you're in no position to listen. And so you can end up finding yourself in deserts of Beersheba from time to time that are no fun to be in. Where all you say, I pray and I pray and I don't hear anything. God says, that's right. You're not hearing nothing because you pray and you pray and you cry and you cry and you whine and you whine and you complain and you complain and you won't listen. 
So I'm going to leave you out in the desert of Beersheba where you chose to go. I did not tell you to go there, but you chose to go there, and I'm going to let you stay there. But in the meantime, I'm going to feed you, and I'm going to clothe you, and I'm going to provide for you. But you're not going to hear from me because you won't hear from me. Boy, I'm preaching now. Might as well get with me. It won't get any better whether you like it or don't. It don't pick up. 40 to 45 days, that's a long dry season. And the desert of Beersheba is a desolate place. I want you to notice now, get your pen and your paper and write something down. Finally, God speaks to him three times. Find yourself in this situation. The first thing God says to him is this. Hey, Elijah, why are you here? What do you mean, why am I here? So he starts telling God. 1 Kings 19.10 Oh, Lord God, all-powerful, I've always done my best to obey you. But your people, your dogs, they're sinners. They're mean and they're ugly. And they broke in their solemn promise to you and they tore down your altars and they killed all your prophets. Except me, I'm the only one. And now they're trying to kill me. God says, okay. But that's not what I ask you. I ask you why you're here. And some of y'all are still confused just like Elijah was. And about the time that God asked him the second time here in a minute, you'll figure out what God was asking. Why is Elijah answering this way? Because he's still not listening so God says to him, number two, get to a place where you can see me. You can't see me where you're at right now. Somebody say amen. You can't see me where you're at right now. Second or first Kings 19, 11. Go out and stand on the mountain, the Lord reply. I want you to see me when I pass by. But you know what? I'm not sure that he did. I've heard it preached that he did. That he went out and then that's where he saw all these things that are coming. But I'm not sure that he went out yet. Because I see in verse 13 where he went out. And something happened between 11 and 13. Something pretty monumental happened between 11 and 13. That don't look to me like maybe he was out there to see it. But he could hear it. How many of y'all know you can hear a tornado? How many of y'all know if you've ever been in an earthquake, you can hear an earthquake. Have you ever been, have you ever been around a forest fire? You can hear a forest fire, can't you? And all three of those take place while he's in this cave. And he heard all three of them. And then finally, after all of that, at the end of all of that, finally there was a gentle breeze. Crazy, Elijah heard the gentle breeze. Well, we would have all heard the tornado and the earthquake and the fire. But when Elijah heard the gentle breeze, he covered his face with his coat and he went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. Guess what? Now 
He's listening. He had to be listening in order to hear a gentle breeze. How many gentle breezes do you miss every day because you're busy? You're moving, going, tired, working, exhausted, praying. How many gentle breezes do you miss? God said, I'm not in the tornado and I'm not in the earthquake and I'm not in the fire. I'm in the still small voice. I'm in the gentle breeze. The gentle breeze has never stopped blowing. You just stopped hearing. You just stopped listening. And so God asked him the second time. Why are you here? Guess what Elijah says? The exact same thing he said before. Well, God, like I said, I've always done my best to obey you, but your people have broken their solemn promise to you and they've torn down your altars and they killed all your prophets except for me. And now they're trying to kill me. God said, thinking, doesn't, it doesn't say he says it, but he's got to be thinking. You still don't get it, but at least now you're listening. So here's, we're at least to a place where we can work. What God wants you to know is why you chose to fear, run, and quit. When he said, why are you here? He wanted Elijah to say, I'm here because I got afraid and I ran off without asking you and I want to quit. That's why I'm here. But we don't pray like that. When we get tired, it's always somebody else's fault. Why are you here? I'm here because they said this and he did that and she won't listen. And this don't. Instead of, I got tired And I got afraid and I just wanted to get out of the situation. So I got out here in this desert and I just want to quit. This is for somebody today. God didn't need Elijah to tell him all that twice, even once, because God knew what was going on in his life. God didn't say, hey, Elijah, what's going on in your life? He said, why are you here? He didn't need Elijah to tell him, everybody's mad at me, they're all trying. He didn't need to know it. God already knew. He knew everything. He wanted Elijah to acknowledge why he was in the desert of Beersheba. We put ourselves in the desert of Beersheba. God didn't lead him there. He chose to go there of his own volition. It's getting quieter because now some of you are getting mad at me because you're like, I was shouting with you a minute ago till you start blaming me. You're going to say it's my fault, then I'm going to get mad at you just like I've been mad at God. Mm. But you know what? He already knows what you're going through. He already knows that you're tired. He already knows you're exhausted. He knows all the things you've done for him in the past and what you're going to do for him in the future. He just wants you to acknowledge that you chose to come here, that he didn't send you here. He's with you here. He's providing for you here, but you didn't have to come here. He let you come and he took care of you while you're here. 
And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, all right, okay. Now, I don't like that, but all right, proceed. Well, that means you're listening. So then God says, number three, go back to work. First Kings 19 and 15, the Lord said, Elijah, you can go back to the desert near Damascus. And when you get there, appoint Hazael to be king of Syria, and then appoint Jehu, to, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, to take your place as my prophet. What he was saying here is, is if you're listening to me again instead of to the enemy, and if you're listening to me again instead of to yourself, then get back where I send you. It's time. The scripture said that Elijah left and he went and found Elisha. There's always more to be done and you're the one to do it. Can't nobody do what you can do. We all get tired and we all get discouraged. And at times we all fear and run and want to quit. And that's okay. God's not angry at you. But he'll always let you go off and feel sorry for yourself. But at some point he's going to send a gentle breeze your way. Don't miss it. Start listening. Sometimes we can't hear God's voice of comfort and guidance over our own crying and complaining. Why are you here? Get to a place where you can see God again and get back to work. That's how you make the desert of Beersheba a memory rather than a dwelling place. Let me tell you something sad. Too many Christians worked for the Lord, got tired and moved to the desert of Bathsheba and stayed there for years. How many wasted years have they spent in the desert of Beersheba with God loving them, taking care of them, being nice to them and then missing everything he wanted them to do and be. He's like, I'll leave you there as long as you want. The gentle breeze is always going to be blowing. Still small voice is not ever going to stop. How sad is it that some people chose to move to the worst place they could be. Because of fear and desire to move and a desire to quit. They got themselves as far from everything as they could get and found out this is not a good place. And don't know how to get back. And they just keep praying and crying louder and louder. And God is saying, why are you here? And they cry louder. Why are you here? And they complain more. Why are you here? Oh. Oh. I chose to be here. I can go back. I don't have to stay. Oh. Well, it seems like this must be God's will for me to be here. He's still taking care of me. He'll always do that. You're his kid. If you're tired of the desert, then get on back. Get on back to the move. Get on back to the work. Get on back to the call. The desert of Bathsheba is not a dwelling place. Make it a memory. And get on back. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I have prayed for you this week. I know this isn't a Palm Sunday message. I think this is a message for you because it's not a Palm Sunday message. The Lord didn't give me a Palm Sunday message. The Lord gave me a message for you. For all of those of you who right now are dwelling in the desert of Beersheba. 
you you may not have. I'm not being mean and calling you names. I'm saying that if you got there, you got there in good company. My lands, Elijah was there too for a while. Took him 40 to 45 days to figure out he didn't have to stay. Some folks have been there a lot longer than that. If you don't like the desert of Beersheba, then listen. You've been asking God for a miracle to get you out of this place. Oh, God, do something. You're going to have to move heaven and earth. Give me a tornado. Give me an earthquake. Give me a fire of some sort. I need some huge miracle to let me know that I can move on. God says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Anybody can hear those things. I'm going to speak to you in the still small voice. I'm going to speak to you in the gentle breeze. But not until you relax. Not until you slow down. Not until you get quiet. Because you can't hear the still small voice in the midst of tumult. You've got to get your mind to a place where you say, Lord, all the world may be crumbling around me, but I'm here with you and I'm listening. I don't want to run. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to quit. I just need to hear you again. What do you want, Lord? What do you want? If this is your message, then get up from your seat and come down right now. I'm not asking you to come and stand. I'm saying get up and come and kneel around these altars. Come down and get on your knees. Find your spot. And ask God to let you hear the still small voice. God, I'm tired of hearing all the noise. Help me shut out the noise. Help me quit praying for the noise. Help me to hear the gentle breeze. God, let the gentle breeze begin to flow in this room. Oh, there's more of you. Come on, there's more. God, I pray right now that you'll let the gentle breeze begin to flow in this room. The still small voice. Today is not so much about you hearing God's voice on what to do, although he might tell you he did Elijah that day. But it may be more about you slowing down again to rule out all the commotion so that you can hear the gentle voice, the gentle breeze. Quiet our minds. Quiet our spirits. Oh God, we are tired. We're exhausted. We've been afraid. We've been running. We've just been going, Lord. We just don't know. I pray, oh God, right now that you will allow rest to fill this room. That you will replenish joy. That you will speak peace. 
Help us, God, to long for the Mount Carmels and to detest the desert of Beersheba. God, give us back our fire, our zeal, our desire to do your bidding. Lord, some are just tired. They're just spiritually and mentally and physically exhausted. And I pray, oh God, that they will rest in your presence and begin again to hear that gentle breeze. Let it blow in here today, God. Let it blow.